We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Dan Machichi. Dan was the academy coach at Crystal Palace, Tottenham Hotspur, and then famously with MK Dons, where he's credited with the development of England and Spurs superstar midfielder, Delhi Alley. In 2015, he was appointed England under-16 manager and he worked with the same group of players who then progressed to the under-17 team and won the World Cup. He then moved into the senior game in January 2018, taking charge of MK Dons. I've been a big-time admirer of Dan for a long time. I've read a lot of his work as I've been developing as a coach through the England FA magazines and watched a lot of videos on him and and stuff on YouTube absolutely brilliant I would say he's a brave coach Uh, he thinks outside the box he's creative and he's not afraid to take risks so I was keen today to see where he developed that creative side and his football philosophy where all that came from Uh, and then how he challenged Dele Alley specifically what areas he looked to improve there and how he then changed the tactical identity of England youth teams taking charge at a time when they were looking at changing everything and putting in that DNA. And then also his thoughts on how to develop more creative decision makers in the game. So I think coaches are going to absolutely love this one. Dan was very, very generous with his time and speaks very, very passionately about coaching, uh, the art of coaching, the creative aspect of coaching and from a player's point of view what they want what they need all that good stuff so you're gonna love it you're gonna love it uh please let me know what you think of it on twitter at gary kernin instagram at gary kernin you can give me a shout as well on email gary at modern please help spread the word of the podcast here's dan enjoy Dan, thanks very much for joining me today for the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Thank you for having me. Having followed your your coaching career, obviously from afar, you've impacted a lot of coaches over here in the US, probably indirectly, um, mm-hmm. because I feel you look at the game a little bit differently. So fascinated to see why that is. And, and in trying to do a little bit of homework for this, I read that Roberto Baggio impacted you as a young player. But mm. what were the other sources that shaped your football philosophy? I think that um, the fact that I grew up in an Italian family, uh, both my parents are Italian. So if we if we think back to sort of the mid mid to late 80s, when I was sort of seven, six, seven years old, we didn't have back then Sky TV. So um, an Italian football was probably the, the the strongest league at the time with the likes of Maradona um and 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 so forth Van Basten so I I had access to Italian football from that age um I've always had Italian TV in 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 my house 
and um, and I'd get sent tapes from from Italy of, of the whole season from one of my cousins. So that was the sort of football I was growing up watching. And the, and the Italian the Italian analysis is is very detailed. So um, and obviously the pace of the game is slower. So when I'd watch the national team play and go to watch national team matches, and the the people I was around, um, even when I go to Italy on holiday cousins and uncles and even aunties um you know their, their their view of the game is is really impressive um Italian newspapers Italian magazines very tactical so I, I was in that environment really so um I think I was quite fortunate that you know way before Sky TV came into play and we had access to all, all football worldwide I, I, I was sort of getting a different football and education and, and obviously our our English league at the time was probably based, although it had a lot of technical players, it was probably based on a bit more, um, less sort of flexibility tactically, more sort of four four two, um, bit more physical as well. Whereas, um, like I say, I was being exposed to sort of different systems and a different style from an early age. One of your quotes that I read, coaching to me is not a complicated thing. It's about developing players' strengths rather than make, trying to make them all look and play the same. Uh, mm. well, two, two questions here. One, do you think do you think we focus too much on weaknesses as coaches and do you think we try and have... Do you think we're obsessed with curriculums and, and just set mm. plans? Um, well, I think... Um, yeah, I mean, I can only obviously talk from my experiences. I think... Um, without sort of, you know, I wouldn't want to sort of stereotype and say this is what coaching is, but I just think in, I think in life in general, at times we we maybe dwell on um, what people probably can't do, what what they can do, and just just the environments I've been involved in. Um, I think sometimes the the conversations that I hear with coaches and some of the sort of mindsets I've tried to affect has been, you know, they can't be everything. Um, you know, so just, just, and, and, you know, if you look at any player, any, any player in the world, you know, that you've only got to look at them and think that there's a lot of things they can't do. So I take Pirlo, for example. Um, I remember, I remember seeing a scout report once a few years ago, which was so detailed and I, I, it was, it was for a midfield player. And I, and I thought to myself, if I was filling this in for Pirlo at the time, who, you know, at the time was at Juventus and, you know, uh, Euro 2012, where we, we was, I think, one of the players of the tournament, there'd be a lot of crosses against this. So if this was a Pirlo as a young player, he might not get into the building. <laughs> and, um, and, and as we know, that you know, just take, again, with Pirlo as an example, there's a lot of things he can't do. Um, and, you know, having studied Juventus um, closely, uh, being a Juventus fan, I think what's clever about um, the coaches that he's had is um, they've put him in a system where his strengths can come out. So they've played him in, in a team which has a back three. So behind him, the sides are cut of the pitch are covered because they know that he can't cover that ground. And then he'll play in midfield alongside, at the time, I think it was Vidal and Pogba and maybe Marquezio, players who high energy, can cover ground, but he's the sort of brains of the team, if you like. So um, I think I think it's one, um, trying to identify what their strengths are 
and what's going to get them a job in football, what's going to help them maximise their potential. And then secondly, creating that frame, making sure you've got a framework and structure in place, which not only allows that individual to um, work, play to their maximum, but also the others as well. So um, I think that's really important. I remember meeting um, Arrigo Saki a few years ago. Um, very fortunate to have a couple of hours of him. And we talked about Roberto Baggio well, when he worked with him with Italy. And, you know, he, he just said that, you know, he 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 didn't emphasise too much for him the, the defending side of the game. He had he had a role to play out of possession, but he he knew he was going to get so much out of him in possession, um, and physically knew what he was capable of or not. That he 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 adapted to the player rather than making the player fit a something which he he wouldn't be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that so that that's more sort of on the on the strength side. Um, and um, in terms of curriculums, um, yeah, I, th- I think, again, it's very difficult. My difficulty with curriculums has always been, if I'm writing a curriculum, say now, in the middle of June for next season, I, I have no idea where the players are going to be at in November, you know, mm-hmm. technically, physically, socially, psych- psychologically. I don't know what their form's going to be. Um, I don't know whether they're just going to turn up in, in July, August time and um, have grown a little bit and, you know, they, they, they're going to um, have coordination issues or they're going to come back with just this confidence. They've watched the World Cup and, you know, they've they've just come back with this this desire to really kick on. I, I just find that really difficult. So I think it's important to have a loose plan um, but be really um, adaptable to what's in front of you. I remember making this mistake where I wrote a curriculum for a year, but I got to the October half term in in, in England, and um, the eight the, the players in the group weren't weren't in a place to move on to what the curriculum was going to take them to, so. I said to the coaches, we've got to continue what we're doing. Um, so, for example, ball manipulation skills, you know, they, they needed to, I wasn't happy with their ball manipulation skills. So why am I moving on now to defending when they haven't got this bit right yet? And this bit's more of a priority. So it was more of a case of, right, we, we need to phase in some, some more defending work. But ball manipulation skill needs to continue as the um, priority. Uh, doesn't look as good on a spreadsheet. It doesn't look as fancy, but for me, it's all about meeting the needs of the players. Um, like, like I know it is for a lot of coaches. Um, so, so I just think, um, you know, we can, um, you know, we, that that's what's always got to be at the forefront of our mind. Is this right for the player? Um, you know, what players have I got, and what do they need? And then, and then you work according to that, rather than I'm doing this today. And it might not be what 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 what's required, and um, and for me, you're then not coaching for the player. You're coaching according to a script, or according to what you want to do as a coach. Your your work in the the MK Dons Academy. Let's talk about Delhi Alley. Of course, you gotta I gotta talk about working with him. Um, mm. I, w- I would imagine that his talent would have jumped out at an early age. 
mm. and, and was wondering what you know what what did you look at in terms of key areas that you wanted to add to his game um well i think the first thing was not to um not to do him any harm and 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 to make sure that maintain and ma- going back to the strengths maintain and maximize what what he currently's what he's currently got because um I think it's easy. I remember seeing a report on him when I got to the club and it said that he needed to learn when to dribble and when to pass. And whenever I see that, I, 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 re, I interpret that more as what you're saying is, is he, he, he dribbles too much. Um, and yet we never tend to go the other way. We never sort of say... No, you're passing too much. I'm going to make you a better dribbler. And, you know, he had fantastic dribbling skills in tight areas. Um, and I think what, it, what, was, what was key, really, from a technical point of view, was um, m- making that get, be even better. So, um, you know, because he was a risk taker, making sure that when things didn't come off, um, asking the right questions... So, so say um, he was trying to chip the ball over the defender's head and he got intercepted rather than saying to him, no, you could have just given it simple there. You could have just played it back and maintained possession. You know, asking him, what did he see? What was he trying to do? Uh, and then once you get those answers and you understand it from the player's perspective, then you can give the relevant, relevant feedback. And it might just be, Okay, that was a really good idea. Um, next time, you just need to kick it a bit harder, um, um, or you know, you just need to get your foot under the ball more to get a bit more height on the ball. But you know, not trying to, um, you know, um, affect their, their their thinking in a negative way. I remember Pirlo, funny enough, saying that the reason why he's such a good passer of the ball is because he's given the ball away so many times. And I've always that's always stuck with me, a bit like that the famous Michael Jordan quote about you know missing so many key shots. So I think um, we, we've got to look at any expert in any field; they've got a lot of things wrong in their time. That's just part of the process, and it might the team might not look as fluid and as as neat and tidy, but um, you know you've, you 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 we've got to again remember what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get people to be as good as they can be. So, so that was it more from a technical point of view from a, um, and you know, he had, he, he had lovely, um, ball skills. Um, so that, that was key in terms of adding to his game. Um, he, the age, the, the group that he was in initially <clears throat> wasn't, wasn't the best group. It wasn't a, a team that won every week. Um, and because of that, he was often trying to do, um, other people's jobs for them as well. So at times I felt that he was, say for example, he was trying to close down a fullback when he was playing in midfield, when that was actually somebody else's job and he was running too much. Um, so a simple thing that I did was I, I drew a picture of the pitch um, in lengthways and I said to him, what... When we haven't got the ball, you just operate in this strip, which was the middle part of the pitch. 
when we've got the ball, you can go wherever you like. So basically, just with that simple visual cue, it was just um, giving him sort of an idea of where he should operate on the pitch. So it was probably a bit of game understanding, really, a bit of tactical and spatial awareness, but also trying to just get him to trust his teammates more. And, um, you know, so from a, from a team ethic point of view, um, helping him to get accepted by his teammates, not just for his goals and assists, but also the fact that he trusted them, you know, he could then give them some praise when they did things well and, and that kind of thing. Um, he, uh, um, so initially it was just making sure he was happy. I think at the age of 11 and 12, the biggest role of the coach is to make sure they love the game, they love practice, they love the club, they want to come, they want to come to football uh, and making sure it's, you know, enjoyment is your top priority. Um, and then, um, as and, and how do you do that style of play? You know, he needed to be in a team that um, had a lot of the ball. He was in a position where he was involved a lot um, because he was he was that type. He had that type of temperament. So I think it's understanding the person's mentality. Are they somebody who's what are they motivated by? He was motivated by getting on the ball, staying on the ball, making things happen. So, so making sure that that that, that took place, um, challenging him. Um, so he might turn up in the dome one night, expecting to train, and there's a team in there from South London who are two years older than him, um, and they're twice the size. And you know, he, he would they're the sort of challenges that he would rise to. Um, so I think it, it's you know, kids of any age like variety uh, they need variety because it it's good for learning so, uh, so um you know if you want creativity how do people get creative they get creative by having problems to solve um so he had lots of variety in terms of sizes of pitches opposition age of opposition types of opposition types of surfaces constantly asking different questions of him um and then um so the environment was shaped to make him better rather than coach instruction, should I say. Um, and then um, as he got to about 13, 14, other players were growing a lot quicker than him. Um, so that was a big challenge for me in terms of I got a couple of things wrong at this stage. Um, the first thing I got wrong was I played him wide, um, which didn't suit his temperament. Like I said before, he needed to be involved in the play, so he it wasn't he wasn't suited to being stuck out wide and not seeing the ball uh, for ten minutes. So I got that wrong, um, and then um, it, it that that kind of thing wouldn't work. I couldn't play him down because he needed to be with his peers um, and his mates. So um, what I did was what I watched. I went to a game Tottenham v AC Milan on a Thursday night, I think it was for the UEFA Cup at the time, and I remember seeing Clarence Seedorf playing really deep in midfield. I mean, it's something we see a lot now, but at the time I hadn't really seen it where he was dropping practically behind his centre-backs to get on the ball. And I saw that and I thought, I could do that with Delhi actually, because if I put him in there, he can actually um, not get run over in midfield because people aren't going to really go in there and press him in there. 
Um, so he'll be able to get on the ball. So that'll keep him involved in the play. And then as the play progresses up the pitch, he can then join in the play. Um, so I did it on the Saturday. We played a 4-3-2-1. Um, and I think a big part of my role was to make sure we were flexible tactically, which thankfully I got from my Italian upbringing. So we often played different four, three or four different formations in one game. And people often say, oh, that will confuse kids. It doesn't confuse them if 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 um, it's explained properly and um and you know you've they're prepared um i think it can confuse them if you just throw it on them um but if they're aware that it's coming and um you know it's like i said you you use the right teaching tools i think they can adapt very quickly so we played 4321 and it worked really well. He was in midf- going back to the pillow example. He was in midfield with Brendan Galloway and Shea Ojo, who had different characteristics to him. So it was a good blend there. We dominate the ball um, away from home in a really difficult academy fixture. And he played in that position for about a year. And then once he started to grow again, he then gradually um, moved higher up the pitch and started to create and score more goals like he's doing today. So... Um, so that they were the main things that he probably needed from me um, in terms of, again, you can't predict that other people are going to grow quicker than him and he's going to struggle physically. That's just something that you, you've got to be up to speed with and you've got, to be, you've got to have the right strategies in place as and when those things come. And when you do make mistakes like I did, realise them as quickly as you can. I've got it wrong in the past where I realised it quite late and <clears throat> I in I regret not make, not changing my intervention sooner because um I probably could have helped the player um develop more quickly. Your work with uh, with England, obviously they went through a little bit of a revolution in terms of playing style at mm. the youth level. Um and a lot of success in two thousand seventeen winning the work two World Cups and the European Championships and in, in developing that team and changing that state of play, can you talk about the difficulties you faced at early stages of that development? Yeah. Um, resistance from coaches um, was one of them. Um, obviously, when you're going, when you're trying to change a culture, um, you've got to be sensitive to um, people's people's mindsets and people's beliefs and having respect for what they've done. But at the same time, you know, when, when I was brought into the organisation, it was clear that that was the reason why I was going there um, because of the style of play we had and where, where Dan Ashworth wanted to take the FA too. And, he, and he's done a really good job at that. So, um, so yeah, I, I, the, 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 the least difficulty was the players, I think the players are the easy bit, even if you're asking them to do things which that they weren't they're not used to in their club. So, for example, if it's a centre back who isn't used to running with the ball into midfield, but now you're asking him to, he he, he wants to do that. You know, he's going to be on the ball more. He's going to gain confidence from that. Even they might make a mistake or two, as long as you protect him psychologically by saying, "Listen." Um, this is how we're going to play. Um, and, um, you know, if, if, if mistakes are made, that's okay. It's part of the process. 
Um, and more importantly, you as a coach have got such good, you, you know the detail behind the style of play so well that it's difficult for it to go wrong because players are in the right position. Um, play, players um, feel very confident about what you're asking them to do. I remember a game we had against Mexico out in Slovenia where we played a, a three-diamond three and um, they subbed two players after 25 minutes. And um, it, was, it was one of those moments where I think what you need when, you, when, you, when you're changing a culture is you need to be able to showcase it. And it was one of those first examples to say, listen, people have said in the past that English kids can't outplay South Americans. Well, we've just done it and it was 30 degrees heat. And we've played a system which the players weren't used to um, because at the time, <clears throat> back threes weren't as common as they are today when he had a, a day to work on it. So um, so I think the difficulty was, um, you know, you're, you, 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 you want to put something in place really quickly because you haven't got time to sort of wait. Um, and you know that there's going to be difficult conversations. You know that it's going to maybe lead to some disagreements. Um, and I remember the, the, my, my first few games in the role were, were live on Sky. Um, and, you know, you, you, want, you want these, you know, these players to be able to show what they can do on that, uh, on that stage. So, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's basically having a belief in, in what you're going to be doing and, um, and trusting the players to do it. So, um, I think I think changing any any culture, um, you need you need to identify then different types of players as well. So um, that that can lead to um, different different differing of opinions. So then you need um, strong leadership, which is what we had. Um, again, going back to Dan, which was you know what these type of centre backs, we want these type of creative number 10s, um, and then it makes things a lot easier. What were the what were the add-ons that you had to that environment in terms of, was there individual positional work, video feedback? Did you increase meetings with players? What did you add mm -hmm. to the environment outside the, the training sessions? Uh, what we had was we had um, some, we had 11 playing principles, um, things like, Staying on the ball, um, we had things like staying connected to the ball. We had defend one v being prepared to defend one v one, outwitting your opponent, which was a, a defending principle. So outwitting again, going back to um, my my sort of um, studying defenders who I love, like Maldini and Nesta and Cannavaro, where. <coughs> they would sort of play cat and mouse with strikers where they might, when they were going to step in front, they would actually start by being deeper and they'd make it look like they weren't, they weren't really interested and then bang, they'd go. Or conversely to that, they might be tight and then the ball gets played into the forward and as he sets it, they've already dropped off and all of a sudden the, the striker's sort of thinking, gosh, I don't know if they're getting tight to me or dropping off me. So, so we had, we had principles like that, 
um, play with freedom was our sort of strap line, if you like. So, um, and then players would have <clears throat> their own individual program, if you like, or individual um, focus. And we'd basically say to them, of these 11 principles, pick your top three. Um, and then, so they'd pick their top three. One might be composed finishing, um, for example, uh, for a striker. And then it was then our job then to make sure that we were playing to their strengths. And their strengths were all based around the style of play. And then they would then, after the game, have to... We, we, along with the player, we would find clips linked to their, the three that they'd chosen. And it was a bit of accountability, really, on the coach because if your, if your quality was staying on the ball and there aren't many examples of that and the opposite stats as well don't support that. So I remember having one player, um, Angel Gomez, um, talented player from Man United, who um, his stats showed that um, he'd had um, 100 odd touches and X amount of passes. I can't remember the exact number, but basically what it showed was he was playing a lot of one and two touch. And what I was able to say to him with that feedback was, you're here because you're good at staying on the ball when you're a dribbler, but the stats are showing and your clips are showing that you're playing a lot of one and two touch. So then his reflection from that and, and mine as a coach would be, we need to make sure we're bringing out more of his qualities, which is getting on the ball, twisting, turning, inviting pressure, um, clever passes um, and individuality. So um, we, we, had, we had, I thought, a good framework in terms of clips, individual feedback. One of the biggest things I learned working there was players, <clears throat> those players valued one-to-ones as much as they valued X's and O's and what the session was like. So they like having um, individual dialogue. They like, um, you know, sitting down, just talking about them and also getting the coach's feedback. I think sometimes we just put it all up. We can be in danger of putting it too much on the player and giving them too much ownership and saying, off you go, go and look at your clips. What they actually would like is, yeah, they, they want to look at their clips, but they also want us to look at them. And we'd then have a discussion around it mm. and we'd have an agreement of, OK, what did you what did you find? What were your top three clips? Um, we'd sometimes call it stay, start, stop. So what are you going to stay doing? What are you going to start doing and what are you going to stop doing? Um, and it's, you know, so we just try to make the learning as memorable as possible with like catchphrases like that which um they could hook into <clears throat> um and um so that that the, the individual work was key again based around the style of play based around the strengths of the individual um and like i said the, the big one was play with freedom um because at the time it it, it was felt that <clears throat> um the shirt weighed heavy on the players when they went with a national team so by having that, that as our phrase and clips that showed what that looked like all over the pitch. So what does that look like for a goalkeeper? It could be that when the left centre-back's got the ball and he's going to play back to his goalie, the goalie is high, he's higher than he might normally be and he's the other side of the goal. 
So he's playing like an, another a third centre back, if you like. Um, it was um, things like for centre back stepping into midfield, playing reverse passes. Um, Cruyff turning out of trouble. We had to catch one of the principles was win the ball cleanly. So so playing with freedom for a defender might be balls get played down the side rather than them coming across and kicking it out of play. They're dropping their shoulder and turning out of trouble. Um, so that's them playing with freedom um, and no fear. And um, midfield players, um, you know, the types of passes they play, rotations. Um, and then for front players, um, you know, it's quite obviously that's an easier part of the pitch because there's less consequences, but taking people on and, and what have you. So, um, so, so we were very clear on what play with freedom looked like. And it was, we were very consistent with that. So in game reviews, montages that were put together, um, that, that would be the consistent message. <clears throat> and when the next age group, when you'd work with the next age group, you could use the footage from the previous group. So you'd get a lot of peer learning. And obviously they'd know the boys from the year above because they know them from playing with them in clubs and, and against them. Um, so it was it was like you were inspiring the next generation um, and you're learning off your, your older peers. So once you sort of go through that first 12 months and you've got enough footage to be able to say that they're, they're, right, this is what I like as a coach. This is what's going to make England um, inspire the nation. This is what's going to make you guys um, create new history. And, you know, do little exercise with them in, um, in meetings where we'd say, right, go, go and stand in that corner of the room if your favourite... Pl- no, we'd say, we'd say, I'd say to them, um, you know, again, for, for, for the social aspect... Say they sit in a team meeting room and they're sitting with their club mate to break that up rather than saying, no, don't sit next to him. I might do something like, um, OK, sit <clears throat> sit in all alphabetical order, your favourite player in the world. But you can't tell anybody, so they do that. You then go through it and it would be your usual, your Messies, your Neymars and so on. Um, so they'd be sat in alphabetical order of that, and then it'd be right. Go and stand over in that corner of the room. If your player, favourite player, was South American, stand in that corner. If he was European, stand over here. If he was um, from from anywhere else in the world, stand over here. If he was English, and no one would be in the English corner. So then, <clears throat> there's your hook in because you're saying, okay, we need to change that. When we do this exercise in 10 years' time with players of your age, we want this England corner to be them saying your name. How are we going to do that? And then it goes back to style of play, being able to express yourself wherever you are on the pitch, being a fantastic 1v1 defender and so on. So just try to use lots of different messages, whether it was clips, programmes, Little exercises like that to keep reinforcing the message that the bar is high. We're trying to be the best in the world and you can do it. One of your things was we worked to a 666 idea. Yeah. Win the ball back within six seconds, attack with a minimum of six players. And then can you get the ball over the halfway line within six passes? Mm. And I'm fascinated by the last one 
Dan, because mm. you with the English culture, I could see that being difficult with uh, giving the players a license to send it once they're under pressure. Mm. Was that a problem? Um, sometimes, but I think you just, um, you know, you just in terms if you get your practice design right. So if you say if you're doing a practice where you're saying you can't get over over the halfway, you, you, you know you. Um, you can't get over the halfway line um, in under six passes. Then, um, and although we all, we all know those of us that coach that that's unrealistic because if you can do it in one, you'll do it in one. Um, but what you're doing is you're just putting in a rule temporarily just to affect their mindset, you know. And then and then you're just going to go back to free play. And then you're gonna you're going to um, see see if you if you've helped change that behaviour. Um, but you know I you know I've gone on record as saying I've used things like sim bins, which you know people have got different views on. But it, it's just a bit of fun. Um, so I've done things where you know, like you say, somebody's cleared their lines or panicked in possession, and I've just sim bin them for thirty seconds. And what that does is it just gives them a bit of um, reflection time um but also it's it's a consequence for the team because now they're they're down a player so you, you you actually then get a different benefit because now you get defending and attacking you get defending outnumbered and attacking with an overload temporarily but you're sending out a strong message to the players that that's not how we play you know and by you doing that the important with these players is the why the why is if you do that against Spain, Brazil, Argentina, you might not now see the ball for ten minutes. And in tournament football, when you're playing seven to win a World Cup, you need to play seven games in three weeks. You know you you need to conserve as much energy as you can. You need to be resting with the ball, not chasing around. So <clears throat> I think it's easy to get the buy in because you've done all your prep work before and put all your building blocks in place. In terms of, the, like I said, the clips you show, the little exercise and so on, and you're giving them the why in terms of we're we're not going to see the ball for ages. Um, so um, from that point of view, I think you just got to be consistent as a coach. You got to be strong with your beliefs and your values, and um, because they'll soon start soon start seeing through it. And I think the the um, match days is is the main one really in terms of um um when when that comes to the fore. Um I remember a game we had against USA where we scored the winning goal in injury time um away in Florida and the goal had about thirteen passes and it was a great opportunity for me to reinforce the players afterwards in years gone by an England team would have just put that in the box on the second pass, um, but you've taken your time, you've worked your opening, and um, and you got rewarded. And of course, there'll be times when that hasn't gone well, and you you just use it as learning experiences, and um, and that's the key, really. That we talk about emotional control. It's for me, the emotional control is as much for the pl- the coach as it is for the player. Staying on the topic of tournament football, fascinated to hear your your views on. If you were the, the first team, if you're Gareth Southgate and you're preparing for the World Cup, 
coming mm. off a Premier League season. Mm. How would you approach that two week period? Would you would you work them hard? Would you let them relax? What? How would you balance mm. that? I think that um, obviously you need to know where they're at in terms of their 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 physical and and mental um, state. You know, have they, for example, just lost the Champions League final? So you've got to be conscious of that um, number of games they've played. So you're aware of all that information. Um, I think that you've just got to get the balance right, I think. I think what Gareth's done really well is he's looked at the environment before he's looked at tactics and he and he's and he's making the environment one where the players want to go want to go into work. Um they enjoy each other's company, um, they feel relaxed but focused. Um so I think you just you obviously get your periodization right in terms of there's going to be days where you know you need to you need to get more running into their legs and days when you don't um and you get your balance right in terms of tactical work and you know free play um you know i just i just think you, it's all about balance really um and i'm sure he'll be trying he'll be aiming to get to russia with um and obviously they've had two games in that time so obviously there's only so much you can do before a game anyway. Um, so I think the key has been, he's involved everybody. Everybody started a game. Um, the style of play has been consistent. And, um, you know, you obviously want to get to Russia with a lot of your building blocks in place. And then once he gets to Russia, I'm sure then that's when he'll start really honing in on his um, opposition analysis. But I, I would just, I would have made it all about us looking at, what we've done in the previous two or three games and um, making sure you integrate new players like Trent Arnold and making sure that they're, they're integrated in the group and, um, and making sure it's not all about football. So I know that they've had a couple of days off at different times. So he's broken the weeks up, um, which I think is important. Um, I've seen that they've had the red arrows there. They've had, um, a few people in from the Marines. I know one of the guys really well. That would have been a really inspirational person for the players to see. So I think the fact that he's brought, he's not just kept it to football is key. So I think it's just <clears throat> variety. I think is important. Variety and and it's about us mm-hmm. would be like the, the overriding overriding um, big rocks, if you like, of of the work. What you know when you're away with those teams because it, it always seems to be a thing with England that the boredom. How do you keep the group together without getting them tired of each other in a short space of time? I think with 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 the younger ones it's different because you can't just sort of let them go out you know off on their own for three or four hours. You've always got that supervision there, but you do things like cultural visits and you'd, you'd break the um the the, the trip up with. Every three days, we're going to eat somewhere outside of the hotel. We're going to get you out of here. Um, so you, you'd have you sort of. Um, I remember us going to Brazil, and you know we had a, we had a barbecue with the Brazilians on the third day, and then we played for Melenze on one of the other days, and we we stayed out after the game, went to a restaurant nearby. So, so I think that's important. Just you know, I've I've, I've seen with the seniors where. They haven't just always been at St George's. They would have been at, I know they've stayed at the Grove and trained at Arsenal. 
they've played at Wembley, they've played at Leeds. And although people may say, well, then that, there's travelling on that. Yes, there is, but also they've not been stuck at St George's for two weeks. So I think the fact that they've, broke, they've broken the pattern of wet <coughs> the venues has been key. Um, I think in terms of players not getting fed up with each other, I think that... Um, um, you know, you, you give them that, you give them um, the free time. So so then it's up to them to decide, you know, who they're in company with um, in those periods. Um, and I think that, um, like I said, the fact that they've had a lot of variety in, in their week and they've had a couple of days away as well, it's sort of broken it up. They haven't looked it in and gone, oh, we're now here for 14 days. It would have been right. We're here for three, then we go there for two, then we're off for two, and it just breaks the week up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think having a games room's key, um, and players like different things. So I think it's having variety within the games, the games room, um, and but I think that's important because it gets them together <coughs> uh, rather than them going off in their rooms and playing games. They're doing it in a games room. And providing it's a good space where there's sofas, so if you just want to chill out, you can. If you want to play table tennis, you can. If you can, if you want to do Xbox, you can. So you've got that variety within that space, and um, um, you know, and and not having too many rules. You know, I know Gareth's quite sort of laid back in terms of use of phones. Um, Providing you know it's not in a play, it's not when they're directly working, um, and he does that for the right reasons because he knows that by letting them keep their phones on them, you're more likely to keep them in and around the environment rather than them rushing off back to their room to check their phones every two minutes. So, I think um, treating them like adults and um, and give, giving them a lot of space is key. And like I said, the, the games and the the um, um, the, the, that encourages that interaction, but sort of on their terms. What are you expecting tactically from this World Cup? I think we'll see a lot of back freeze, um, but that'll be interesting to see. I'm hoping to see something a bit different tactically uh, from teams. Um, obviously, I think the climate comes into it, and I know it's a bit of a mixed bag over in Russia, so I think. When, when it's very warm, um, it'll be interesting to see whether teams can um, play at the intensity that they were hoping to. Um, and I think it always boils down to both boxes. You know, I think the game, the game is the game. Um, and at international level, you need players who can unlock organised teams. <clears throat> Obviously, you've got to be able to defend well. You look at the last World Cup, Germany were excellent at... Um, they, they, they didn't concede, I don't think, a set piece in their own half in the knockout stages. It was a really interesting stat. Uh, and obviously they've done their research in terms of in the knockout stage, a lot of games are decided from set pieces. So I think obviously how you defend is, of course, very important. Um, but ultimately to win games, um, you're going to need players in the final third who can um, attack outnumbered, basically. It can unlock the door. Um, I think um, we'll see 
again, Guardiola's influence on a nation from watching the England team the last couple of games. You know, Guardiola had a massive impact on Spain in 2010 with his Barcelona team. He had a massive impact on Bayern Munich in 2014. <coughs> and I think we're seeing now his impact on this England team with Carl Walker's you know, intelligence um, in terms of being able to play in a back three now. I don't think we would have predicted that a year ago. Uh, I know he hasn't played there for Man City, but he does play very narrow for them. But the impact he's had on Sterling, the impact he's had on Delft, Stones. Um, and then obviously there's a massive Tottenham influence. So I think we'll see um, a lot of teams getting into those areas where Gareth's number eights are getting into with those sort of diagonal corridor runs. Um, I think that would be quite, um, you know, we see that a lot with David Silva with Man City. Um, I'm hoping to see some really good combination play. Um, again, I think Man City have been excellent at this season. The amount of one-twos and the amount of goals they score by players just walking the ball into the net because the combinations have been so good. Um, so, <coughs> um, but I think it will come down to individual quality in the final third. You know, you look at Brazil's starting eleven; it's absolutely frightening. You know, they've got a strong spine to their team. Um, but the attacking players ultimately... Um, I think will be key in this World Cup. All right, last question for you. Your work at um, when you moved into senior football with uh, your role with MK Dons, you brought in a ball striking coach. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about why you did that? Yeah. So I think um, I'm always conscious in in any role that I'm in that I don't have all the answers, and I've got no problems with. Um, looking for help, looking for, because it's all about the players. And um, we'd had a couple of games where we had free kicks on the edge of the box and um, we'd, we'd, you know, our shots had gone just over the bar. And it's not an area which I'm an expert at in terms of free kick taking. Um, and there's a guy called Bartek who I worked with a number of years ago in the AK Dons Academy who's gone on to do really well with his coaching. And um, that's... You know, he won't mind me saying this. He he he, he doesn't know. He, he wouldn't profess to know the game <coughs> tactically uh, like like a lot of other coaches. But what he does know is about ball striking, about free kick taking, because that's all he studied for ten years. So um, so basically, I just thought that I don't want to look back on the job like like when I sit here today. I've got no regrets in terms of the work we did. Um, anybody who's seen our games will know that, you know, centimetres were the difference between us finishing where we did um, and me losing my job. And we could have been mid-table. We created an awful lot of chances. So uh, really proud of the work. And I just didn't want to have any regrets. So I knew that I, I had this resource that I, I could tap into. And uh, the way he goes about his methodology is very detailed. Um, he puts a camera behind the player when he's ball striking so he can see all the biomechanics. He can give instant feedback because he knows what he's looking at. He can then do it using video. Uh, he can send written feedback and then he can provide an action plan. And I, I just felt that it was an area which um, I think it's a bit untapped, really. If we look at England, really, over the years, how many free kick specialists have we had? We've had Beckham. Um, and Gaza probably in you know in my in my time coaching, 
Um, that's not enough, really. You look at the South Americans and and other nations. <clears throat> you know, they they've had experts, and I think maybe it's maybe because we don't spend enough time on it. Um, I remember working with a ten-year-old Brazilian when I was at Tottenham, and he he was a free kick expert at ten. He had the run up, um, he had the technique, and he regularly scored at under tens free kicks, bending it in the top corner. Um, and that was self-taught, and he'd come from a Portuguese club, and they'd practiced it there. And um, and his idol was Rivaldo, so he'd got that from his his um, one of his role models. And um, I, I just think it can add it can add so much to a player's game. So um, that that was the reason I did it, and you know, hoping that it would it would lead to um, maybe a change of outcome in, in a game or two. It, but it is something which you can't really play at if you're going to do something like that it needs to be long term it requires um, a lot of um, repeated sessions um, and obviously a really clear understanding of so we'd do it on a Tuesday so it was four days before a game um, when you, you can put a bit more on the players legs it's our leg it's your leg day anyway so so it's got to be, I think, at the right time of the week um, with the right players. So I picked two right footers, two left footers, who I knew at any given time, one of those four would be on the pitch. And they were the ones that I felt were the most likely to um, score for us. So it, again, it's not, it's looking at an individual and like you asked before, adding to a player's game. So it's not for everybody, um, but it's looking at an individual and saying, you you're, you 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 know you you've got a really nice clean strike of a ball um you score goals like this and like this this could add another this could add another five goals to your game you've got to get the buy in from the players as well so mm. before i brought him in i spoke to the players first and said how would you feel about this this is my rationale they they were up for it and then you you, you he came in and did a presentation to them first and and showed it to them visually um, etc. So again, like anything, it's always got to have building blocks in place and uh, context behind it, rather than just throwing at a play and saying you're doing this. But I don't think you get buying. Uh, you get you don't get the buying as much as if you do it in, in a different way. Spot on, Dan. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. Really enjoyed that, that insight enough. and uh, excited to see the the next step in the journey. Thank you very much. So thanks so much to Dan for his time and his insight and his energy there. I said at the beginning of the podcast that Dan was a brave coach and I feel that bravery as a coach is being creative, thinking outside the box, taking risks. But the thing that really not surprised me as much as impressed me in that chat was how he sees the game. Like what's the basis for him seeing everything he sees and I think for me what I got from it was that he sees it from the player's point of view yeah the game's changing yeah there's more pressure yeah there's more demands yeah there's less space specifically what they need to do to try and open up games and uh, he sees it from their point of view and and how he does that there then examples that stood out to me was you know the first thing he said about working with Delhi Alley don't do any harm you know don't put unnecessary pressure on them don't don't put things in his head that the, the things that are going to be around him the noise keep that there so he can still focus on his soccer 
um, looking at the boredom and how to change up environments when you're working with players and I think as well he talked about session design too uh, how often are we are we really 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 challenging ourselves at session design or how much are we grabbing stuff that we've done before uh, and then even with the ball striking coach you know as much as we all probably were impressed with that and thought that was a great idea he made sure that he said that you know he ran this past the players that was a big big part of getting it on board was making sure they accepted it they they bought in and they were willing to to go along with it and to, and to embrace it so for that there again I, it's inspiring for me to hear from a coach at the top top level who sees the game beyond results and sees the game beyond a, a system and basically wants to push his creativity into players uh, because he passionately believes that that's what the game needs needs more creativity uh, needs more inspiration uh, just even from from enjoying the game and loving the game not even trying to win a world cup so that that there I love that I could listen to him talk all day uh, my advice if if this is your first experience of that my advice would be is you know after you you stop listening would be to go and and google and and get him on youtube and there's an awful lot of great resources on him um he's absolutely brilliant you know there's there's videos on him on youtube where he where he does the sin bin um and he has a like an 8v8 game and he tells the players young players that if you know if they make a mistake then they're going to have to sit in the sin bin for 30 seconds and get back on or something like that. But then he said what the mistake is, where most coaches would see the mistake as giving away possession, he sees the mistake as not being creative, not trying to flick, not trying something a little turn around the corner. And I thought that was brilliant because, again, just thinking differently than, than most other coaches do, I think is a, is a, is a real separator today. And, and we should be gravitating towards those people as a coaching community because they're going to challenge us to think... Uh, bigger and better uh, about the game so I hope you enjoyed it hope you enjoyed it and please let me know what you think uh, what areas stood out to you what you would question um, and what you took from it love to hear it at Gary Kernin on Twitter at Gary Kernin on Instagram Uh, please I always say it please don't leave without giving it a rating on iTunes Um, it's always good to know what you thought of it and again if uh, if we could get down on in the future, I'm really, really going to try. I thought he was outstanding there. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Always appreciate the little comments, the plugs on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Hopefully you got a lot from that. So thanks again. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.